Today on the show, our hot-headed reactions are going to get us in trouble. But, hey, at least we get to come home to hurrah at the end of a long, uh, hard day yes. on the battlefield. That's right. Best feeling in the world. Indeed. Find yourself woman. a hurrah. <laughs> She's if awesome. Your, if your work requires hard, sweaty work on the battlefield, yeah. nothing better than coming home to hurrah. Knifing some off-worlders. <laughs> great shoulder massages. It's great. <laughs> Deep conversation. Wonderful. That's right. We all deserve a partner like her. A little freaked out by kids, but. (laughs) Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And Leo, we are back, sir. It's been a while since we've done a Spice Morsels episode. It's true. But we got a plate full of morsels, and we're going to be chopping down. <laughs> we absolutely are, indeed. But before we get too far into it, let's talk through some very brief housekeeping. And first up, spoiler warning, spoilers for the first book. That's it. That's right. Nothing else, just that first book. If you've read the first book, you're good to go. That is right. Now, as always, a quick shout out. To our Quizaz Haderach level patrons, Matthew Good, Case Aiken, gentlemen, mm. if I ended up partnering with either of you, <laughs> I would take care of your children as if they were my own. Sure. You've shown us such generosity. It would be my duty to show you that generosity back. <laughs> In this situation, are you the Ganema? <laughs> are, you, are you the spoil of war? Right, right. <laughs> Guys, if you won me in one-on-one combat... <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, Once they defeated my current partner (laughs) in one-on-one combat and won me as their partner, then I, you know, I would show them generosity. This is a long-winded way of saying thank you for supporting the show. (laughs) And of course, that thank you extends to all of our patrons and all of our listeners who tune in to every single episode. The show wouldn't be possible without all of you. That is a problematic precedent to set, though, if we show up to like live shows and people just start squaring off on our partners. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to win him! It's mine! <laughs> like, oh, wow, this meet and greet's going great. Right, right. <laughs> our live shows are going to get pretty bloody if we set this precedent, and I'm not entirely against it. <laughs> I'm tall. <laughs> meet and greets via I'm tall. Yes. Okay, well, that was housekeeping. <laughs> uh Today, let's talk about today's episode. Let's look at kind of a brief overview of what the episode's going to look like. This is one of our coveted morsel episodes. So top to bottom, we're going to talk about some spice morsels, exploring the nooks and crannies, the seldom visited nooks and crannies of the Dune universe, and of course, the Dune Encyclopedia, Right, our favorite little collection mm. of weird articles. That's right. And these morsels are often parts of the Dune lore that aren't quite big enough to have their own episode. Like, sure, Leo and I could talk about Jameis for 99 minutes, (laughs) but should we? Probably not. Yeah. So instead, these morsels get lumped together into today's episode. They're fun little details that add to the world building, that add to the universe that Frank created, but not quite big enough to get their own episode. So we lump them all together, slop them down on our plate, and chomp down on them. (laughs) So with that having been said, yeah, let's do it. I'm hungry. I hope you're hungry, dear listener. Let's eat some morsels. Let's do it. 
And our first morsel today is, and we promise again, it's not cannibalism, Jameis. Jameis! <laughs> Paul's first kill with a naked blade, mm. as we're told. But let's learn a little bit more about him, because he actually does have quite an interesting life from the Dune Encyclopedia. And this begins with his birth, <laughs> classic beginning to a life, <laughs> in the year 10,159 A.G., Two, oh, why did I launch into this? I'm bad with names. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. This also makes the later name that much funnier because these names are so... Okay. <laughs> the first name is uh, Deoces. Deoces? Deoces? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's a name. I, I like that pronunciation. I, su- I support. It sounds more Greek <laughs> than it looks. <laughs> and then there's okay so his father is let's just say deoces it's d-e-i-o-c-e-s and mother madai maybe mm-hmm. which is m-a-d-a-i and deoces his father was a respected warrior okay makes sense Jameis is a bit of a fighter yeah papa's a fighter he's a fighter uh-huh. yeah and then his mother uh madai is described as quote a gentle intelligent woman who carefully supervised her son's education. End quote. All right. Which is so sweet. That's awesome. What a great little family unit to come from. Yeah. Now, his mother was the one, so Madai was the one that insisted that Jameis attend Pardo Kine's lecture on ecology, his various uh, lectures that he was giving yeah. to the Fremen people, educating them about ecology, which, by the way, I never imagined Pardo Kynes having like a lecture series on Arrakis, but going siege to siege and doing little TED Talks. Yeah. That's kind of a fun, also a fun world building piece, piece of the puzzle. Right, right. But that going to those lectures is very likely what led him to be a sort of fanatic believer in the dream for a green Arrakis. Right. So his belief in everything that then Liet inherited from their father, right? Now, additionally, the Dune Encyclopedia also speculates that Jameis might have already kind of been predisposed to fall in line with Pardo's visions right, because right. Pardo Kynes saved Deoses, saved Jameis's father. Mm-hmm. So there's a very direct connection here between Pardo Kynes, Liet Kynes, you know, the whole thing and Jameis's family unit. So his father was saved by Pardo Kynes. Mother's like, you should attend that dude's lectures. He saved your dad. Yeah. He did, fell in line with the dream for a green Arrakis. And whatever whatever the case, that was a little bit of speculation regarding like his maybe affinity toward Pardo. Whatever the case, he definitely fell in line with that dream for a green Arrakis. That's right. And, you know, that that's really his education and his work life. But what's interesting and what we love about the encyclopedia is it also expands on Jameis's character when it concerns his hobbies. Because there's a whole section in the, in the encyclopedia that talks about how Jameis threw himself into the work of transforming Arrakis into working with and alongside the kinds. Right. But also that he was very passionate about his hobbies, in particular, music and dance. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much. <laughs> That's incredible. Now, music was his greatest pleasure, we're told. And the Dune Encyclopedia explains that Jameis 
became adept after trying a number of different instruments. He ultimately settled on and became quite adept at playing the nine-string balisette, which apparently is one of the most difficult instruments in the Dune universe. Right. So our guy is kind of like an indie rock band badass. <laughs> I love this part of Jameis that we clearly don't see in the films or even in the books at all, really. And in addition to the, his music, he was also really into dance and mastered quite a few dance moves as well. Yeah. So it, it's fun to think of Jameis really breaking it down on the dance floor at Fremen Weddings. It makes it a lot easier to the kind of classic saying, I was a friend of Jameis, right? Yeah. A lot easier to be friends with the dude knowing he's into music and dancing. And, you know, you walk without rhythm out in the sands, but on the dance floor, oh, ooh, he moves ooh, with rhythm. He's Sounds got great. rhythm. That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> or maybe you dance without rhythm to avoid attracting worms. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can you imagine all of that rhythm happening at once? That would attract worms for miles. <laughs> Fremen weddings. Millions of words. Can easily turn into a bloodbath, clearly. Is that a dance party? (laughs) 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 Feeding time. Yeah. (laughs) Now, in in addition to his musical and dance floor talents, we also know that Jameis was a ferocious fighter. And we're told that he actually had a, quote, inclination toward violence since early childhood. Mm. So he was a ferocious guy from the start, and this will actually come to learn, gets him into trouble quite a few times. Now, because of his natural inclination toward fighting, he actually easily earned his Chris knife and became a sand rider at the young age of 12, which initiated him into the ranks of Fremen fighters. Right. And we're told that he actually surpassed even his father, as a warrior. His father, as we know, was a respected Fremen warrior, and Jameis became even better. And the encyclopedia observes that even as a young man, Jameis had the qualities that might have led someday to him in a leadership position. Mm. Quote, bravery, resourcefulness, and perhaps most important, ambition as well as the major flaw that would bar him forever from authority. <laughs> Faulty self-control. End quote. And there's the rub right there. You know, I appreciate the kind of complexity. You say you don't really want a hot-headed siege leader. Yeah. You don't want a nabe who's, like, eager to shed unnecessary Fremen blood. But still, he, maybe, he'd, like, maybe he'd mature into it, right? Like, maybe right. in his 40s. His 50s. I can't remember how old he is when we meet him. <laughs> Wait, uh, doing the math. He's in his mid-30s when we meet him, and he's like hot-headed in his 30s. Fine. In his 50s, maybe he'd calm down a bit. Uh-huh. I think <laughs> bar him forever from authority? That's yeah. harsh. Come on. Give him give him some fucking time yeah. to grow up. Interesting. Interesting that you have that take, because I'm almost entirely the opposite. I think if by your mid-30s, you're still challenging little white boys from Kaladin... <laughs> You have much more maturing to do, and I would not trust you to like lead a whole siege. But of he's Fremen. so challengeable. <laughs> Fucking look at him! Look at that little wisp of a man. I'm the Lisan Al Gaib. Fucking right, nerd! Right. I'll challenge True. you, idiot. Here's the thing, Leo. Here's the thing. Paul wasn't the first time his hot-headed behavior got him in trouble. Yeah. The Dune Encyclopedia makes it clear that there are records that indicate. 
Jameis has undergone a number of disciplinary actions because of like hot-headed or impatient behavior on and off the battlefield. So this is like a repeat problem that he's had for many, many years, and it continues to mm. basically hold him back right. from any sort of leadership position, even though he has many of the qualities that would have made him a good leader. It's really a double-edged sword, right? That This fiery disposition makes him deadly on the battlefield. It has earned him renown and respect on the battlefield as a Fremen fighter. But that very same disposition is what holds him back from leadership. And the encyclopedia actually says that later in life, Stilgar would observe, Stilgar would write down, quote, there's too much violence in Jameis for him ever to make a good leader. Too much gafla, end quote. Mm, interesting. Fun. And look, I trust Stilgar's words here, you know. Always. Stilgar knows how to read his people. Yeah. Stilgar's a great leader. And if he looks at Jameis and he goes, man, you're not ready yet, I believe him. Got way too much fucking gafla. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> way too much gafla. Looking at Jameis head to toe, you're like, that's, oh, that's seven or eight gafla for sure. Oh. That's Oof. way too much. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> it's over 9,000 gaffle. It's over nine. <laughs> Vegeta! <laughs> it's like Scouter say about his gaffle. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's just such a core memory. <laughs> yeah, truly. Well, <laughs> let's wrap up talking about Jameis by touching on his domestic life. So yeah. very famously, after Paul defeats Jameis, he <laughs> gets a wife because that's how it works, which is hurrah. Right. But let's talk about how hurrah came to be with Jameis. So basically, <laughs> Jameis challenged hurrah's previous husband, previous partner, who has by a margin the most boring fucking name <laughs> of any Fremen person. Because I want to be clear, this is a Fremen. Let's list some Fremen. We've uh-huh, got a San uh-huh. Tariq. Oh, yeah. We've got Stilgar. Mm. Ben Alfi, right? Something like that. Yum. We've got, right. who? Uh, I mean, the smugglers, Esmar Tuik. Right. We've got Ooh. Liet Kynes, part Swipe of because they're right, off-worlders, but it's fine. Super like. And then <laughs> we have Haraz's husband, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> also, our editor's name, spelled the same way, by the way. So... What up, Jeff? <laughs> How was it being married to Hurrah? Yeah. Until Jameis challenged until you Jameis. and killed you. Right. How was that? Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. I can already see Jeff the Fremen's Tinder profile. He works at Deloitte. <laughs> he went to grad school at Georgetown. Yeah. His opening photos, him in a suit. Yeah. I can see it now. I, Jeff is just such a funny name. Yeah. And I get that also this is, is the story that has all of these incredible names. And then Paul is <laughs> the main character. Fair. But still, it feels very strange to have a Fremen, a wild desert, like survivor and fighter <laughs> Jeff. Anyway. Okay. So Jameis challenged Jeff. What a sentence. <laughs> and pretty easily bested him in combat. Took him out. Now, by Hurrah's accounts, Jameis became very quickly a loving husband and father. Okay. Quote, he was a tender lover and good provider. Wow. Bringing her many water rings after sorties against Harkonnen patrols. She says he loved their children, Caliph, Jeff's son, and Orlop, their own 
He made no distinction between them and accorded the same devotion to their upbringing. End quote. Wow. And again, fucking driving home the goddamn... Jeff named his son Caliph. Right. What a cool name from fucking Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) And Orlop. That's a that's a one piece character. You can't fool me. Hundred <laughs> percent. It is nice to hear though that Jameis, as fiery and hot headed and unruly as he could be on the battlefield. Yeah. He was the exact opposite when he got home. He really left work at work and only remained the father and husband that he needed to be at home. Right. And I find it quite touching actually that he adopted Jeff's son as his own and treated them no differently i think that tells us the type of character Jameis is right it tells us a lot about the type of man he is and the type of fremen that he is that he would treat them in exactly the same way yeah i I mean in a universe that frank created that dodges a lot of the sort of like very caricature the characters who are just like two-dimensional cutouts i really like this depth of Jameis, tender lover right lover of music plays a fucking really hard balisette like a really difficult yeah. instrument yeah loving stepfather kind of kind of stepfather fremen stepfather very good caregiver yeah lovely qualities awesome much easier to be a friend of Jameis, indeed definitely it, it this really changed my opinion on Jameis for sure doing this research all right well let's wrap up because we all know what happens ultimately Alas, Jameis's hot-headed nature gets the best of him in a fatal and final showdown with some scrawny kid from off-planet named Paul Atreides. Ugh, just hearing his name, I want to challenge him. Paul? (laughs) Yeah, fucking challenge that kid. Right, right. (laughs) Try to kill him, for sure. I I think what we're realizing through this discussion is Jameis had a problem with people who had boring fucking names. (laughs) Jeff, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, holy shit. He was on a mission to eradicate boring names. Look at the body count, all the people he's killed. And it's like, then he battled Jonathan. And then he battled Steve. And then he killed. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, oof. I can't imagine what the day looked like when the Fremen Bob Smith came across Jameis's path. That must have been a bloodbath. Chambers through clenched teeth. He's like, is that fucking short for Robert? <laughs> is it Bobathy? And he's like, it's Robert. And he's like, wrong answer. Hilarious. Well, to wrap up Jameis, as we know, Paul bests him in combat and Jameis's story comes to an end. But his legacy is maintained because the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that in her book, The Songs of Muad'Dib, Irulan actually recorded this poem in memory of Jameis. And I thought this was a beautiful poem, so here it is in full. Quote, Do you wrestle with dreams? Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You tarried with trifles. Victim of your folly. Mm. End quote. That's beautiful. That's beautiful really encapsulates his life. I feel like that could be lyrics to a Queen song. Oh. Yeah. I think you're right. We just need a nine-string balisette balisette riff in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Electric (laughs) balisette. Yeah. 
All right. So that's our spice morsel on Jameis. I, I genuinely am glad I dug into this oh. research and learned a bit more about him because I've really come to appreciate Jameis more as a character. Yeah. And really come to appreciate him as a as a husband and a father. It really rounds out his character in a way that the book simply doesn't have time to, right? We see him for one scene. We have one key interaction with him and him and Paul. Right. And that's that's about it. So it's good to learn a bit more about him. And uh, I've really come to res- respect Jameis. Dare I say, I am a friend of Jameis. Oh, I am too. Oh, he's great. <laughs> well, for all friends of Jameis, let's take a quick break. <laughs> and right. when we're back, we got a couple more morsels for you. So don't go anywhere. We got some maker hooks. We got some wine. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting drunk and hooking up uh, right after this. Welcome back, folks. Let's continue working our way through this giant portion on our plate. Mm. Next up, our next morsel is Maker Hooks. Indeed. So, in Dune Part 1, we actually got a tease. We got a glimpse at the Maker Hooks, but we didn't get to see them in action. However, in the Dune Part 2 trailer, we saw Paul's first sandworm. We know this will be a pivotal scene in Part 2. So let's talk about these maker hooks and learn a bit more about them. Indeed. So put simply, maker hooks are tools used by the Fremen to capture, mount, and steer the great sandworms of the desert. Right. Now, sadly, the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that there are no remaining records of the origin of the maker hooks or of any predecessor technology. We don't know who made them when they were made, how they were made, how the first ever hooks came to be. No idea. Those records have been lost to time and lost to the desert. Really unfortunate, because you have to imagine that those very first attempts were audacious. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> hey, I got, a, I got a plan. And you're like, what's the fucking plan? And you're like, you know the worms? Right. Yeah. I want to I wanna climb one. <laughs> it's like, what? what is that first attempt? What? Bob Smith, no! Bob Smith, no. (laughs) He's like, I got to, though, because Jameis keeps trying to fight me. This is the only way I'm going to get out of this. I either have to change my name to Babafi or ride a worm. I have no option. This Jameis guy is going to kill me. Yeah, I would have loved to learn, like, who the the Wright brothers of, you know, sandworm writing were, you know, who who first came up with the idea that we should literally hook onto these giant creatures and ride them. Alas, we don't know. What we do know is that modern maker hooks were long shafts made of something called spice plastic, and they ranged in length from 1.3 to 2.1 meters. What is that in real numbers? (laughs) In real numbers, four to seven feet. Four to seven feet, cool. And at one end was a plasteel hook with a barbed tip. Mm. And obviously this was the part that was used to latch onto the sandworm's ring segments. So, you know, if you're trying to teach Arya Stark to ride a sandworm, you tell her, hook it with the hooky end. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of <laughs> all the people trying to hook with the handle, they're like, oh, it's not working. It's not working. You're like, you got to hook with the hooky end. <laughs> well, as we know from the book, it's not so simple, right? You don't just kind of like put two fingers in your mouth, blow a big whistle, you know, worm gallops up, you can hop yeah. on notes. It's a, it's complicated. Right. It's a hell of a feat. 
<laughs> it's something to be proud of unless you're gurney at which point you're totally dismissive <laughs> of it you're like what do you mean i saw someone do it once and i so i did it right. why is everyone clapping this is so strange <laughs> and the process begins as a writer latches onto a passing worm and then peels back one of the ring segments right. these protective ring segments that protect the worm from the abrasive sand and that exposed gap then is a deterrent and the worm will move or roll so that that exposed segment is as far from the sand as possible, uh, which, of course, hoists the rider, which is great. Right. And because of that, and this is actually very, I love this because in a lot of cultures, you'll see stuff like this. I, I did a weird, I mean, I'm mostly Scottish, so I was doing like research about like Scottish, the, the different like wars that the different tribes and clans would do mm-hmm. and a big yeah. part of like you prove that you're ready to fight by like lifting a big rock and putting it on oh. a fence it's kind of fun okay so similar concept in the fremen culture you demonstrate that you're ready to be like an active fighting guy by demonstrating that you can ride a sandworm so this the hooks became emblematic and symbolic of that maturing kind of threshold of you're you're just a weak, tiny 12-year-old child. And then you ride a worm and it's like, well, fucking I was wrong. Now you're a man. <laughs> it's very uh, <laughs> it's very direct. Very sweet. Now, because of this, naturally, uh, superstitions also got kind of tagged on to maker hooks. Uh, a hook that had never failed was considered lucky. Okay. And its owner was given special respect, which is really like very lucky pair of socks or like lucky underwear vibes you're like these are my hooks like these have never failed me i also this continues the problematic trend of people being like oh you're a good artist that must be a good paintbrush or like oh you're a good photographer that must be a nice camera yeah like wow you've never failed writing a worm those must be great hooks it's like fuck you this is a demonstration of my skill bro (laughs) i've practiced so much it's like i don't know they must be good hooks (laughs) yeah wish i had hooks like yours man i I wouldn't have fallen off the worm last week it's like no you fell off because you're a fucking fucking saying that like imbalanced (laughs) prick okay don't make me introduce you to my friend james okay you piece of shit bob bob smith you You unbalanced bastard get back on that worm Now, the other side of that coin, right? Never failed. Hooks never failed. Lucky hooks. Other side. (laughs) If a rider, a fucking unbalanced bastard Bob, fell off a worm or failed to hook a worm. Yeah. (laughs) It was said to bring bad luck on the entire tribe for that day. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad it's just a day. Like, I'm glad it's just a 24-hour cycle. I'm glad there's a timeline to it. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's very much like, don't walk under an open ladder, you'll be unlucky. You know, having a black cat cross your path, you'll be unlucky. It's that same energy with the maker hooks here. Right. Or worm riding. If someone in your tribe fails to latch onto that worm today... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you play the lotto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the scratch lotto ticket sales that day are abysmal because fucking Bob fell off the worm again. Right. Again. Yeah. Always. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's fun. And, you know, that that's not a whole lot of information about the maker hooks, but I think it's still interesting to see 
the cultural role that they play for the Fremen, as well as the very practical tool that they are for Fremen transportation in the deep desert, you know? Like, before Maker Hooks, before worm riding, I'm sure it was very difficult to get around the deep desert and very difficult to go far distances. So they're a critical part of Fremen culture and a critical tool in their toolkit. It's true. Legend says before riding sandworms, Fremen had to rely entirely on Heelys, which is oh, like yeah. Yeah, awful yeah, yeah. in the sand. Awful. It's like a terrible way of getting around. <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah, gosh. It's really terrible. Get sand in your Heelys? Oh. Ugh. Can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> and you, you'd have to be replacing those things all the time. They get rusted so quickly. All the sand abrasion oh, in there. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But there just simply was no <laughs> other way, right? Like skate, skateboards, not possible. It had to be Heelys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the smugglers. It's like, it's really suspicious that you're always going out to the desert with those crates of Heelys. Like, that's just <laughs> a suspicious amount of Heelys. They're like, well, I'm tell you, sand gets in them. And we have fun out in the sand. Are you hating on Heelys? I never had Heelys as a kid, and I was always so jealous. I never had them either. My shoe size was my age, starting when I was 12. So LOL. I, <laughs> so I just couldn't buy fun shoes yeah wow look at us look at us on our poor regular shoe childhoods woe is us <laughs> yeah we couldn't be like those fremen kids chasing scorpions <laughs> on their heelys <laughs> all right so let's talk about our last spice morsel for today's episode this one's a fun one indeed because it's kaladin wines yep this was cool i came across this in the encyclopedia and i was like damn we got to talk about this so the entry in the Dune Encyclopedia on Kaladin Wimes is interesting because it's framed as an excerpt from a dining guide from the court of the Carino emperors about 100 years before Paul's time, which is so fun. Yeah, that's cool. We know that the encyclopedia is positioned as a historical document. Right. So as part of the historical documentation, they've taken this excerpt from a dining guide and included it, which is just a great framing device. So fun. Dune Encyclopedia, 12 out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the entry itself explains some of the challenges that the winemakers on Kaladin faced, as well as getting into detail about some of the various wines that they were able to eventually produce, having overcome some of those challenges. Right. Now, the challenges themselves are basically twofold. The challenges facing these winemakers. First, and this is just, this sucks. This sucks. I I have never wanted to live in the Caledonian star system less than yeah. now. Yeah. Apparently, the star at the center of that system emits a, quote, yeast-inhibiting radiation spectrum, okay. end quote, Ooh. making a lot of the traditional fermentation techniques a no-go basically yeah so alcohol making is challenging in this star system and second the people who live in the system and it's a little unclear to me if this is kind of a chicken and egg situation i don't know if this is because of the yeast inhibiting radiation or right you know in spite of it maybe but the people in this system just don't really drink that much yeah and apparently the, quote, average per capita annual wine consumption on Caladan 
is a meager 1.5 liters. And wow, quote. annual. So, like, if you picture a bottle of wine, that's 750 milliliters. Yeah. So, one person will have the equivalent, on average, per capita, two bottles of wine per year. Which, that's not very much. I mean, as someone who can get through that in a week. Hello. That's that's pretty light. That's pretty light work. Yeah. Yeah. You got you to gotta pump those numbers up, Kaladin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to <laughs> go for a new PR. Drink more wine. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I do wonder, like you've said, whether it's a chicken or the egg situation there. Do they not drink a lot because it's just hard to make good stuff? Yeah. Or they don't make good stuff because it's not worth it because culturally they don't drink a lot. Like there's no demand supply. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. That having been said, though, the Atreides royal family did want some of the good stuff, right? Right. And they invested their time and effort and money and resources into experimentation and research to try and work around some of these challenges that they faced, the radiation, the cultural norms, to still be able to create as good a glass as possible of wine. Right. And in some respects, they were successful. And the encyclopedia goes on to explain and list some of the unique types of wine that were made on Caledon. Indeed. Now, the three types of wine that they outline are, oh God, I always do the names, this sucks, uh, are Caseric, Caseric that's maybe. Good. Ooh, yeah, that sounds like a wine. It sounds like a wine, right? A Caseric, a Merlot, a uh, mm. Pinot Grigio, mm. Caseric. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a dry red wine, best had between five and eight years after bottling. So it's best to age it to about five years and have it then. It's a dry red wine. And apparently the first Fruit stock, this is according to legend, but the first fruit stock was brought to the planet by House Atreides, right? Because House Atreides only took over planet Caladan, I think, a few thousand years mm-hmm. before the beginning right. of Dune. So, but whatever right. they came from before that, they brought fruit stock. And that Caladan Caseric remains the favorite Atreidean kind of ceremonial wine. Nice. Possibly because of its roots with the Atreides family. So that's the first one. We've got this dry red wine called the Caseric. Next up, we've got the Bornola, which is a, uh, which is a light red wine, highly alcoholic. Okay. This is crazy. 16%. Get turned. 16%. I feel like most wines are in like the 12 to 14% range. Like 16 is a, yeah, that, that, that's a glass settle hit harder than you expected to. <laughs> right. And although most Caledonian wines had kind of a mustiness to their flavor, the Bornola lacked it almost entirely. And the only thing really standing between it and being a like galactically enjoyed brand of wine or like type of yeah. wine is the fact that its shelf life is so short. Yeah. Basically, it gets noticeably worse in just its third year. Wow. So you've bottled it. You've basically got two years to drink it. Or it'll start to get a little bit of that like mustiness that comes from a lot of Caledonian wines. So you can't really ship it. You can't really like export it off world. 
And then finally, we have Delkai, which is a sweet white wine called, quote, never much better than ordinary, <laughs> quote, which, yeah, I feel like people have described me that way. That's that's pretty solid. Ouch. Yeah. And it's basically the two buck chuck of Caladan. So it's like the cheap, drinkable, you know, accessible Trader Joe's brand wine. I see. Okay. Uh, produced from native grapes. Which is, you know, impressive. It's nice to have kind of local stuff. And while there were a lot of different ways it can be made, uh, you know, there was even a note on like every family protected their own like family secret, like chemical process to yeah. ferment it. Uh, it across the board is just a very solid drinkable option. And apparently they even made a sparkling variety, which, quote, the Atreides family most frequently serves when ritual or propriety indicates that a Caledonian flavor is desired. Okay. End quote. So they've got their ceremonial casserac, or if they're like, no, we, we, we actually do want people to enjoy their time <laughs> at right. dinner. Let's serve the Delkai. Let's serve the, the sweet, sparkling yeah. Delkai white wine. Right. It, it's the dinner where it's okay to get a little rowdy, you know? Everyone can loosen their ties a bit. <laughs> yeah. Open up their waistcoats and be like, all right, we're cutting loose a little bit. Let's go with the Delkai tonight. The Kasserk is like your more upscale, your uppity dinner where you only have a few sips. Polite society. <laughs> That's fun. And I also wanted to point out, I, I pulled open the chapter of the dinner scene, right? The dinner party sequence in Dune, right? Right. Iconic. Well, quote, Servants began putting plates of food on the table at the Duke's gesture, releasing them. And then in a little bit, a true patatois, maybe, <laughs> served with sparkling Caledon wine. End quote. There it is. So there you have it. Almost certainly the famous dinner scene. If you were wondering, you're like, okay, these you know, interpersonal politics, the hand signs, all of that's fine. Right. What fucking wine is on the table? Yeah. You know, most important detail, it's the Delkai. That's right. It's that sweet two-buck chuck <laughs> that they brought out in their big flagons. And yeah. They're like, we're going to get people fucking drunk tonight. Right. Hell yeah. Which completely makes sense. <laughs> the tradies would want the people at that table to be pretty buzzed for negotiations. It's true. Bring out the bubbles. That's right. Well, as a final aside, the editor of the Dune Encyclopedia in this section tosses in a mention of Suji, which is a highly alcoholic pundi rice-derived liquor that was popular on Kaladin among the lower class, mainly because of its low cost and efficacy at getting absolutely trashed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know what the real world analogy to this would be but i almost imagine this is like the four loco of kaladin maybe i'm not super knowledgeable about alcohol i think it's somewhere between like sake because it's a rice derived ah uh, that's more uh, liquor. yeah that's more so it's like some, something like sake but then also kind of like moonshine because it sounds like people are kind of doing this on their own just to get fucking drunk. So it's uh, sort of a okay, at okay. home DIY. You're right. You're right. You're you're just <laughs> distilling anything you can. Yes. <laughs> Throw yeah. it at the wall. Let it ferment. Hope I love it's, that. Hope that, it's drinkable. That, that's absolutely yeah. correct. A mix of sake and moonshine would would be what suji is on Caledon. So there we go. 
that's our last morsel for today. Kaladin wines and a little bonus Indeed. liquor extract if you really want to get trashed. <laughs> that wraps up our morsels for today. Look at that. Hashtag clean plate club, Leo. We've done it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, before we let you go, and before we go, we want to remind you of some ways to support the show and everything we do here at Gamdra Bar. And the first and best way, we've said it before, we'll say it again, Right. become a patron, please. Patreon.com forward slash Gamdra Bar is the place to show your support. And hey, in exchange for your support, you'll get cool benefits, ad-free episodes, ooh, yeah. weekly blooper clips, ah, and an invite to our exclusive Dune server. Uh, where, where we chat and sometimes have some like heated conversations. It got a little spicy in the it Discord did. recently. It did get spicy. Uh, good to see people passionate about, right. <laughs> about <Right>. things. <laughs> uh, a bunch of Dune nerds having like a hot, sweaty conversation about politics and <laughs> philosophy in there. It's fun. Mm-mm. It's a fun time. Geopolitics. Ooh. <laughs> Never sounded sexier. Hello. Now, another great way to support us is to check out our merch store on gamjabarshop.com. It's all Dune-themed merch. Indeed. We've got art up there. We've got apparel. We've got mugs, a tote bag, socks. If you need a lucky pair of socks, folks, gamjabarshop.com. <laughs> Hell Yeah. You can walk without rhythm. You can dance with it however you want to do it. <laughs> and finally, we love to hear from you. So send us an email, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, your favorite things about Dune or whatever else you're reading these days. Right. We just love to love to hear from you. So send us an email, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. All right, you wanna you wanna go grab some suji, Leo? And I know it's like ten a.m. on a Tuesday, <laughs> but you know it's probably five p.m. on Kaladin. <laughs> Shots of suji, yeah. <laughs> Shots of suji. It's I mean, it's, listen, it's it's, ten, it's five o'clock somewhere. I think it's good to do some shots of suji, and then right, we'll right. we'll you know have some Bornola, and we'll uh, find some boring ass names to beat up. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That, that uh, that's the ideal way I like to spend my Tuesday mornings as oh, well. Yeah track down some johns <laughs> make james proud our boy i was a friend of james like what's your name mordecai okay you're good. uh okay <laughs> you you want some suji <laughs> you pass you want some suji <laughs> we got drinks for anybody with cool names <laughs> slowly we like build up a whole gang of like very drunk plain <laughs> name hating warriors yeah this is how cults start this is how cults who drink suji and kill people that are named john and bob start it's true as it starts as a podcast about a very specific niche sci-fi book series and then slowly snowballs into just a roaming band of bandits yeah love it i can't wait for that phase of our podcast journey the roaming bandit phase join us patrons you're up first to join the band to roam and band with us (laughs) <laughs> well
Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word if you want deep and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. And hey, we're also on TikTok at Gom Shabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. <laughs>